Welcome to the Rise Up Podcast, the podcast all about empowering women's careers, hosted by me, Susan Dwyer. Each week, I share insights with you from women with different backgrounds, experiences, and learnings. We discuss career-defining moments that led them to where they are today, giving you a unique insight into what actually goes on behind the scenes. Get ready for some candid conversations about leadership, entrepreneurship, failure, confidence, and more. This week, I'm delighted to bring you my conversation with Caroline Reedy. Caroline is many things. She's the founder and managing director of the HR Suite, TEDx speaker and author. She's also a thought leader in relation to all things future landscape of HR and the challenges and opportunities that present both employers and employees. We discuss a lot in this conversation. We cover the difference between mentoring and coaching and how to maximize these relationships the importance of work-life balance and flexibility. And we also touch on how to make a career pivot and the importance of doing work that you enjoy. This was such a great conversation and I hope you enjoy. Caroline, welcome to the Rise Up podcast. Delighted to be here, Susan. Great to talk to you. You too. How are you? Fantastic. Uh, Enjoying this unusual summer that we're having. I know, I know. It's been pretty touch and go, hasn't it? (laughs) So... Let us rewind the clock a little bit. Um, As I did my research on you, um, you, your love for people, where did this all stem from? Was it an early age or how did this evolve? I suppose I was lucky enough to be brought up in a beautiful village called Ballyhaig that was a lovely little tourist uh, town. So we were near the beach and there was a great hotel, the White Sands, where every summer was really busy and I got a summer job there. And for me, very, very minute I started, I loved the vibe of customers, working with other people, just everything about it gave me just such a positive buzz Mm -hmm. that I always kind of felt working with people was very much an area that I'd like. Wasn't quite sure what, but um, so from that perspective, I suppose the people piece was always very there, very much there. In your mind. Yeah. And it's funny, isn't it? Um, I always think hospitality is such a... It's such a good grounding for young people because you learn so much about people and essentially business is about people. Your confidence grows because for a lot of interaction and experience, you know, it's down to how you interact with mm-hmm. others. And now we call, you know, all this interactional emotional intelligence and we've, you know, all these advanced words for it. But really building those relationships, being able to connect with people, etc., that's what you do in those summer jobs that are so vitally important to mm-hmm. build skills you don't even realize are going to stand, stand to you. you for life. Yeah, 100%. And so for anyone who doesn't know you, um, can you give us a bit of an insight into your background and how you ended up setting up your own business? I started my career in HR um, in two large companies. I was in both for quite a period of time and HR and operations were my background I was then the president of the Chamber of Commerce and got the opportunity to go to San Francisco um, with a lot of Ernest and Young Entrepreneur of the Year uh, owners. Mm -hmm. And when we were on the trip, um, lots of them during the week were asking me HR related questions. So their management team, their people, etc. And by the end of the week, they were all saying to me, listen, if you set up your own business, We'll all support you. These are all people from Ireland that have gone over. Yeah. And during the trip, I suppose I felt what advice I was giving them was second nature to me because that's the day job. Mm. But they felt it was something really valuable. And they were explaining that the people piece of their business was the thing that kept them awake at night or was the thing that the business strategy that I they had was being held back because of Either they couldn't get the right people or, Mm -hmm. you know, it was a people um, issue or an opportunity they couldn't fulfill. So to cut a long story short, I set up the HR suite and felt, look, what's the worst case scenario? I'll have to go and get another job. It's not really such a worst case scenario. And I set up the HR suite at that stage. All those entrepreneurs kept their word and they're still huge ambassadors for the HR suite. I have to say, like there's, you know, there really are. But the business has grown from it started out in Kerry, uh, where we had our main office uh, to now we have an office in Dublin and an office in Cork. And, you know, a significant, I suppose, amount of clients mm-hmm. varying from SMEs to multinationals. 
And we kind of three distinct departments. One is best practice HR. So we help companies implement performance improvement plans, uh, performance management, diversity and inclusion strategies, training, etc. Another department then is very much the e-learning and training space. And the other one then is the employment law. So it's the attention to detail, the tricky organizational working time act queries or representation at third parties so so it's a kind of 360 hr suite excuse the exactly and ultimately i suppose i've got an amazing team of people mm. that really look after our clients so well that our clients have become our best ambassadors because no matter whether you're the small business starting out or whether you're the large multinational there's certain elements of the HR function that are better to be done by experts. Yeah. And I suppose we complement the large departments, HR, and then we fully uh, provide a solution for the smaller companies. So it grows with you and your business. And going back when you were in Silicon Valley and, you know, you had this idea of using your skill set and your knowledge to go out on your own and start consulting. Um how did you go from idea to action? Because there's probably a lot of people listening who may have a skill set, may not be HR, may be finance, might be marketing, whatever it is. Any advice on like, what's the first step you should take to go from idea to actual starting a business? I suppose the first thing I did was the start your own business course from the local enterprise office. Okay. Because even though I love everything about HR, I would have also worked in an operations role. I was the operations director in the company I worked for last. I felt that there was lots of elements that I didn't know what I didn't know. Mm. And the Start Your Own Business course gave me insights into, well, you must, you know, this is something you need to know about revenue or this is something you need to know about, you know, other elements of starting a business that I would never have had exposure to. So I found that really super and a really good kind of starting point. And then in my first year of business as well, I heard about going for growth. And that program was for female entrepreneurs who were starting their own businesses or had just started. And I was accepted onto that program. And that was another brilliant kind of leverage because I was with like minded females Mm. because when I started out, I didn't know any other individual female entrepreneurs. So all of a sudden now I built a network from the start of like minded people. Mm. And even though our business journeys might be different, in other words, somebody could be a pharmacy chain owner or somebody else could be doing, you know, a chocolate company. I was doing a HR consultancy. But our exact same business challenges were the same. We're the same, yeah. So that was another really good. So the two of those, um, I suppose, initiatives really helped me with that startup phase, which is a very lonely journey when you're a one woman show, you know. So I was about to say, because we were talking about this earlier, but I think it is that loneliness piece that is the most difficult thing. So programs like that are brilliant. Brilliant. And as well, what it does is it starts giving you confidence in what is possible. Mm. I remember when I decided I was setting up my business. For me, I always said I didn't want a one man show business because I'm good at HR and I love HR, but I'm not good at finance or I'm not good at sales or marketing Mm -hmm. or those kind of initiatives to the same extent that I wouldn't want to spend a day a week working on finance, for example. Even though, of course, as a business owner, I totally understand my finances Mm -hmm. but there's a difference between being a business owner and analyzing your finances than being the person doing your finances in the business and I suppose I always knew that for me in my business I wanted to grow it to scale that could mean that I'd have key people working in key elements of the business Mm. so that I could do what I'm good at and what I love rather than for me to be doing the finance or you know the other elements of it from a day-to-day perspective. So is the lesson there like it's important to have a vision when you're starting out? Otherwise, like if you hadn't known that, you probably just would have started doing everything and then started to not enjoy it. Yeah, I suppose for me, Susan, without doubt, and I, and from the companies I'd come from as well, I'd seen the advantage of having experts mm-hmm. in areas because the acceleration of the growth was so much more as a result. And 
because somebody is a guru at their area, they can really then, you know, be best in class and really stand out from the rest of the competitors. Mm, That's so true. And like just from speaking to you, you seem like someone who's very passionate about what they do and you get a lot of joy from what you do. Do you have any advice to people who may not have that joy and who may be seeking more fulfillment or enjoyment from their careers and and where to start? I think for me, the starting point is maybe to think about doing an occupational personality assessment Mm -hmm. or doing something that will be nearly a mirror to you, because a lot of time doing an occupational personality assessment tells you and reinforces what you know already about yourself but it gives you a perspective on okay these are your strengths these are things that you're passionate about these are things that you know help you light up and give Mm. you that joy and then once you have that information is power and ultimately that can help you make better decisions and I think for a lot of people You know, it's um, the last couple of years, a lot of people have pivoted. A lot of people have reassessed what's important to them, Mm. Um, you know, like work life balance, Mm -hmm. you know, being in a career that maybe you just really didn't like, but just have stayed on the treadmill. And it's a very brave decision to make because it's often easier to stay doing what you're doing than to be brave enough to press pause and reassess. But I do think we spend so much time at work Mm. that Getting to do something that you really enjoy, you know, can really make such a difference to your overall well-being, your overall because happiness level. it impacts level. your personal life. Like if you're Absolutely. Mis- you know, it, well, it impacts all aspects of your life. Absolutely. And as well, I think, you know, if you find, you know, the old adage, if you find something that you love, you you're never work working. a day of do your life. Do you believe life. that? hundred percent. Do you? Like, sometimes I think in the entrepreneurial world, they say that, but then... <laughs> You go in and you're working. (laughs) Yeah, no, I definitely believe that. There's definitely days in my career that I'm going, oh, my God, is this day ever going to end? But like for me, the majority of my days, I feel I'm making a difference. Mm. I feel I'm being challenged. I feel I'm working with amazing people. Or as I say, I'm in an environment where I feel I can make a difference. Yeah. And that gives me a great sense of satisfaction. Mm-hmm. As I say, it's not that I'm saying every day is, uh, of course. you know, uh, yeah. kind of, oh God, that's so easy and so enjoyable. There's challenges, but with it, it brings the best of me. And I definitely feel with that comes a satisfaction that you feel you're making the most of your opportunity to contribute as well. And I think it's about like living in alignment, essentially. You know, if you are in a job that is giving you that fulfillment, you feel so much more aligned. And I feel like that is part of the puzzle of happiness, you know? Absolutely. And for me, I suppose that alignment with your values is key. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, you, uh, you know, I love people, as you rightly said, but I also love being challenged. I love learning. And sometimes I put myself out of my comfort zone and regret it completely. Mm. But it's only by, you know, doing that, that you kind of feel, oh, my God, I actually survived. And actually there's a possibility exactly that I could do more of this or whatever, you know. So I think, um, you know, for me, that's something I try and practice, not just in my work life, but in my personal life as well. Um, you know, I've recently taken up tennis. I'm so bad at it. <laughs> I thought it would be just the same as golf because I could play golf. I could play tennis. Yeah. I'm so wrong. <laughs> but again, though, I think it's, you know, by doing something that puts you out of your comfort zone, you know, it just makes you better, you know. And I think the mistake a lot of us make is we think that in order to do that new thing, we have to be confident. Whereas the confidence comes after doing the new thing and surviving to tell the tale yeah so well said you know and I think it's the bravery piece you know we can all make every excuse and I'm brilliant at that as well as to why we shouldn't do the thing whether that's Mm. the going to the gym early in the morning or drinking more water or actually changing career or you know doing the project that you maybe feel I'm not sure about this Mm. it's going to really challenge me so we can find every excuse that we want to say we shouldn't do it Mm. but actually Sometimes you need to kind of stop yourself and say, well, actually, do you know what? If you do do it, maybe the learnings are going to be so worth it that, you know, that's actually. And that's how you grow, thing. essentially. Yeah. And talk to us a little bit about, you know, 
I run a community of and, and there's lots of different women and we all have different challenges at different points in our career. Personally and professionally, what's your mindset around dealing with these challenges, whether it be something happening in your business or at home? And how do you continue to like show up every day with these things going on? I think it's really important to be authentic, especially mm. with your team. And, you know, for me, the roller coaster of life has presented lots of challenges along the way. But I always feel that if you're up front and you say to people, look, this is the story at the minute, this is what's going on, that people really appreciate that mm -hmm. honesty and that authenticity, because that vulnerability that goes with putting those things out there can be hard. Uh, however, I think that's what pe makes a team work mm -hmm. and that's what makes leaders be authentic because let's be honest there's nobody that doesn't go through the roller coaster of life mm. whether that's grief everybody has unfortunately you know experienced it at some stage or change or you mm. know whatever that might be but I think that authenticity means that people can then you know be there to shoulder the support when it's needed or you know do all of those really human things mm. to support people and it's you know we've evolved so much even in the number of years in that I've been involved in HR whereas we now really appreciate people the concept that nobody's perfect but actually that's actually a good thing because that makes us actually more authentic and, and stronger as a team absolutely and I think as well it means that people then in turn can be more authentic too because ultimately I, I don't ever and never did believe the concept that you know, your personal life is separate to your work life. I think mm. we're holistic individuals and there is the knock on impact. And I think if we support people when they're going through a challenge, you're going to get that back so much more when mm -hmm. people, you know, uh, come out the other end and it supports people to come out the other end mm -hmm. better and stronger. And a lot of companies now have employee assistance programs and they've, you know, lots of other initiatives that support people. But the most important one of all to me is that ability to have that open door communication concept where people feel that they can have those conversations that'll be respected, that'll be supported because the initiatives without the communication and the support doesn't mean anything. It's just lip service, you know, so I think that's the most important thing. And where where do employers get it wrong? The employers that lose good talent, what are they doing wrong? Is I think, it that, the lack of communication? I think in a lot of organizations, the intent of the organization is really good. Like most companies now see the advantage and necessity to have diversity and inclusion, dignity mm. and respect, family friendly policies, etc. But we forget that we've an array of managers who end up being managers because they were good at the day job. Yeah. And they could be an amazing accountant, amazing engineer. And then they get the gift of people as they get promoted. But nobody has spent any time actually giving them the skills mm. to proactively manage people, give feedback, have difficult conversations, mm. you know, how to deal with somebody if they, you know, come and talk to you about something that's really personal and challenging for them. Mm. A lot of people, it's out of their comfort zone and the default position. If they're good at emotional intelligence, they'll do it well. But the risk is they could do it badly as well. And that person's in interaction is that experience from that manager. The intent the organization had just hasn't been lived true. So I think the, you know, the training of managers is something mm. we need to be more proactive at, particularly in the world of hybrid we are in now. You know, it takes different skills. It takes really good communicators. It takes intent behind, mm. you know, the management of people to really build connection and to facilitate that open door communication. And I think one of the mistakes that I see people make is like they're too afraid to say something in case they say the wrong thing. So they say nothing like I had a girl recently um, she lost her dad and she went back into work. She worked for an American company and she was just like, nobody's saying anything to me. She was like, it's, it's the most isolating experience I've ever gone through in my life. She was like, it's awful. I need to leave here. Mm -hmm. But you can imagine 
you know, I doubt anyone's like intentionally trying to like hurt this person, mm-hmm. but it's like they're scared to to say something in case they upset the other person. Whereas like that's the wrong mentality to have, right? Absolutely. But a lot of people, they just don't know what to do. And, you know, in the event of not knowing what to do, they do nothing. Yeah. And without doubt, we're finding we run programs on grief awareness, menopause, um, diversity, mm. neurodiversity. You know, the the list of awareness training we do now is so diverse. Mm. But what it is, is facilitating people to have more mature conversations around all of these topics, mm. like whether it's grief, whether it's neurodiversity, whether it's menopause, these are all parts of the journey of life that mm. many people, you know, engage, you know, encounter. And it's very natural and normal. But somebody who hasn't maybe been given the skills or the tools, actually, it's out of their comfort zone mm. based on their personality style or their life experiences. Mm-hmm. So I think we're we're stepping up and raising awareness to have braver, better conversations. That's making a huge difference to the culture that people are experiencing Mm -hmm. rather than the culture that we're talking about. And I suppose it comes back to like breaking down barriers in the workplace, right? Absolutely. And I use neurodiversity as an example. You know, we've so many companies now that are back to doing a hybrid, but the hybrid people are going back to is an open plan office. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they're finding that the open plan is really distracting. People are finding it really hard to concentrate with the amount of noise, background noise, etc., or the volume of people's voices, etc. So a lot of people are looking to wear AirPods or earphones. Mm. And a lot of companies have said, no, look, you can't. The policy is no, because we want you engaging in the office. Mm-hmm. But we're not asking the why. And the why is because of that neurodiversity challenge that person may be having. Mm. So to maximize their potential, to retain them, to give them the sense of belonging, we need to let them wear the AirPods and help them understand that, look, at times of the day, it might be appropriate, but we we're you know, we're we're facilitating to play to their strengths and maximize their potential. But if the manager isn't aware of that, they mightn't even be having the conversation to say, why, why do you need them? Mm. So again, that raising awareness is is like a game changer, I would say, for organizations. And focusing on the individual, because like you might have 10 people on a team, but they all have separate needs. Absolutely. And as a manager now, the role is more challenging than ever, because as a manager, you're focused on productivity targets. Mm. You know, no question about it. People are flat to the mat. There's very few people working in jobs that aren't at full throttle. And then you also have people's challenges that they bring to the work environment. Mm -hmm. And I think for managers, navigating all of that requires training, requires support. And I think there's just a brilliant opportunity for organizations that do that well. Yeah, and I can relate to that so much. Like the first time I became a manager, a people manager, from an individual contributor, like I didn't have an ounce of training. I was just like, okay, they're off you go. These are your, you're responsible for these four people now. And you learn on the job, but like you make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's important to know that these mistakes are avoidable with the right training and awareness. Yeah. And for a lot of people, what puts a lid on your career isn't your technical knowledge or ability. What puts the lid on your career is your ability to manage people and bring them with mm. you. And the better you get at honing that skill, the better a person you're going to be, you know. Longer and term. Yeah. So I think that's exciting. Obviously, I've written a book, The Art of Asking the Right Questions, which is all about helping people, managers navigate the employment journey, because I've seen all the way through my career that managers are out of their depth and haven't got the tools or the skills or the tips that to help need. them navigate that journey. And why did you write that book? I suppose for me, um, I just felt there's so many managers that get themselves and the organization into hot water Mm. or just don't support the individual so that the person leaves. Mm. And I suppose for me, it's all about helping the manager do their job better. And I'm a huge fan of questions 
And for me, the art of asking the right questions is very much the coaching concept of bringing people on that journey. journey and like I've covered literally, it starts from what are the questions you ask at recruitment? What are the questions you ask at induction? What are the questions mm. you ask at probation and all the way through to exit interview? But for me, if you are good at asking, you're bringing the person with you. You're mm. learning what their views are. You're getting psychic communication doesn't work in my mind where I presume you know what I'm thinking yeah. and vice versa. So again, the power of asking and the power of listening is something that, you know, can really make a big difference to the person in so many ways. Because ultimately everybody just wants to be heard. It's on a more human level in life, even outside organizations. Absolutely. That's what we're looking for. Absolutely. And I'm a mediator. And, you know, when we do mediation, you know, you've always hit the eureka moment when Mm -hmm. somebody says, that's the first time I really feel that I've been hurt. And it comes up so many times where people say that sentence because even though they could be in conflict with the person that you're doing the mediation with for so long, the person has never had that space to be fully heard. Mm. And that makes a huge difference. And it relates to like even in relationships, personal relationships, like you'll often hear, I just don't feel heard or seen. So it, it goes into every facet of life. And going back to your own career, are there certain people or like who has kind of helped you on your own entrepreneurial journey, but career journey as a, as a whole? You seem to have a good network. Like, is that yeah. something you intentionally grow or how does that, how do you do that? I suppose that? I've been very lucky from my first career job was Kerry Group. And, you know, from my time in Kerry Group, um, there was mentors that were there and there was mentor programs. Mm-hmm. So the concept of mentoring, which I now advocate and encourage and, you know, really, I suppose, set me on that path where people had your back, but also people challenged you and encouraged you and again, asked the right questions to put you on, you know, on the Mm. right path. So I suppose I've been very lucky that those advocates have, you know, been in so many different forms and You know, I've been lucky. The job I do is very much a people orientated job, but also it's one that brings me to so many different types of companies, so many different types of environments, etc. That, you know, I have a really good mix of um, opportunity to engage with With loads of different people. And I really like people and I really like people who their values are aligned to mine, etc. So, uh, you know, I tend to automatically build relationships easily from that perspective um, and really value them. I think if, you know, we'll have all loads of acquaintances, you know, that we'll encounter. But I think if you make an effort to foster relationships Mm. with people that, you know, you like and people at the end of the day, we do business with people we like Mm. and we, you know, we're aligned to people we like. So if you make that effort, I think, then people make the effort back. And, you know, I try my best if I can support or help. I'll always say yes, because lots of people have done that for me in my journey. And it's funny, I find the word networking can be triggering to a lot of women specifically because they they envision it like this sleazy interaction where you're in an an awkward event. But I think it's around like, reframing the concept of networking what is networking it's connecting with people it's building relationships it's having conversations but do you have any advice to anyone out there who might be looking for a new opportunity and they may be naturally more introverted and not a good networker and how to go about starting to build those relationships when it makes them feel uncomfortable I think firstly Find something you're passionate about. I would be very, you know, conscious of if you find something you like or you enjoy Mm. and it's something that you're interested in. So whatever your career is and you want to do something linked to your career, find something that you're passionate about and you're interested in. Mm. And the other thing for me is when you go to the event, make an effort to talk to people you don't know, because as humans, we tend to go to the people we like and know. Mm. And even if you can make the effort to go and talk to one new person, 
that in itself, you know, means you've actually done networking at the networking event. Whereas if you go and you only talk to the circle you already know, mm -hmm. that means you've reconnected. And there's a difference between reconnecting yeah. and actually expanding your network. Mm. And for me, I suppose I do networking I enjoy. You know, I I'm you know, I'm lucky I have a nice network from my career path. Um, but I do networking I enjoy because I agree with you, this forced sense of, you know, you know, hard sale and mm. you know that I've no interest in. Yeah. And I don't think that builds connections. And I think you need to go to the networking concept of, look, I'm here to help. And if I can give first, in turn, somebody, you know, along the it path. It opens you up to receive. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think people appreciate that. And sometimes it's simple things like you can put someone in touch with someone else yeah. or you can give people a bit of advice or, you know. Or share an article with someone. Like it doesn't need to be anything overcomplicated. Absolutely. But I think that concept of being open really does help. And I think also, um, you know, there's so many networking events, mm. like so many that you're not going to be short of finding one that will suit you. But I think if you keep the concept in mind of go with the what concept. What am I passionate about? Absolutely. What am I interested in? And also remember, like, you don't need a ginormous network. You need a couple of key people like it can be small, but the right people. Absolutely. And I think as well, you know, um, it's, you know, what is your end goal for the networking in itself? Mm. You know, for a lot of people, it might be that they want to build a social, you know, element to it. For others, they might be thinking of career advancement. Yeah. For others, they might be thinking of pivoting to something completely different. So I suppose start with the end in mind. The why, like what's your intention? That's a good point, actually. What's your intention with this? And I think that'll help you decide what is the right one to do? Okay. I I see so many people, especially startups, and, you know, they go to absolutely everything, yet they never talk to anybody new. So they're What's busy the being point? busy, yeah, 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 but they yeah. actually are not busy achieving anything. So I think it's important to kind of go, OK, what is my aim here? And I think the two bits, bits of advice for me are pick something you're passionate about and make sure you speak to at least one new person at minimum. So you've built one new connection, I think, and, and go with the concept of giving then, you know, if you've built that new connection, can you Give do anything positive for them? Before you, you take, and uh, your previous point kind of comes back to speaking to someone new, just again, that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to push myself outside of my comfort zone, even though it may be a little bit more uncomfortable, it'll be worth it. Completely. And for me, it's the art of asking the right questions. Yeah. It's rather than talking about yourself, it's. So tell me a bit about you and, you know, tell me about your business or tell me about your career or mm. tell me about your, have you cats, dogs, yeah. children, you know, what do you do in your spare time? The art of asking the right question brings people together. Whereas, again, the talking piece, you know, sometimes you need to be a listener before you you give. And I think it's remembering as well, like, OK, this person may be a CEO, but they're also a human being with like... <laughs> You know, like you said, a dog, a cat, a daughter, whatever it may be. So just not putting them on that pedestal and just treating it as a normal conversation. And the other thing I want to ask you, a lot of women will join the Rise Up Network to find a mentor. They're like, Susan, really want to find a mentor. Don't know how to go about it. And we run kind of some formal mentorship programs. But do you have any advice for someone how to identify a good mentor in a more informal setting and how to maximize that relationship. So firstly, for me, identify, do you need a mentor or a coach? Okay, that's a good start. Because they're very different, mm. you know, and make sure you're clear on what it is you're actually looking for. Because some people, they, you know, go into it and they kind of say, well, I'd like a mentor, but they actually don't understand exactly what is a mentor. Mm -hmm. So can you differentiate that for people? Yeah. So I suppose a mentor is much more somebody who is like what I've had in my career. It's been somebody who is advocating for you, is giving you maybe um, signposting you and steering you along the way. And you're asking them their advice and they're giving it to mm. you. Whereas a coach is somebody who's asking you 
the questions and you're navigating the path yourself. So they're basically, I suppose, much more in a questioning, you know, uh, role to help you signpost the journey yourself. Whereas a mentor is more, I suppose, hands on to the extent that they're mm. giving you the answer to the question that you're asking them. Whereas the whole idea of a coach is like the answers, the coach doesn't have the answers. Like the answers are, you have the answers. The coach just prompts you to kind of get it out of you. Yeah. So when should someone, how does someone know whether they need a coach or a mentor, would you say? I think oftentimes you need both, being mm-hmm. honest. And at different times on your career journey, you know, you. I think it's good to freshen them as well. Mm. I think a coach is amazing for a maximum of a period of 18 months to two years. Mm. And then I think it's good to get a different mentor or coach. And you can always go back to the first one again. And for some mentors, they become your mentor and advocate for, you know, for life. Mm. Yet you don't necessarily maybe need to have the same level of engagement. Yeah. I always find in in my career, I've always found because I've gone through periods where you feel lost and that's when I feel like coaches add the most value because they kind of work with you to like reconnect with yourself and your values. Whereas I've used mentors for like once I kind of know what I want, I'm like, okay, how do I get there? Like, how do I do this? Yeah. And I think you're very right insofar as I think always having a trusted sounding board which both a mentor and a coach are and both parties are going into it clear on the expectations Mm. and I always think have a cup of coffee with the person whether that's a virtual one because many coaches or mentors are not you know Mm -hmm. proximity wise mightn't allow a physical meeting but it's the opportunity of seeing is there a connection but it's also the opportunity to see have they got the time are they the right fit like personality wise, do you click? Absolutely, yeah. because all those things mean we're both going into this clear on what the expectation is, because normally I would say mentor programs should be like a t- period of time. Mm-hmm. You're agreeing how soon you'll meet, how often that'll be, you know, the There's parameters. Objectives, yeah. yeah. And the same with the coaching, you know, you're going into it with a commitment on both sides that this is what it will look mm-hmm. like. I also think it's really important that the person who is being coached or being mentored takes responsibility for the relationship. Mm. In other words, schedules the meetings, you know, does the prep, has the questions prepared, you know, is very clear on what it is they want to get out of it. Because between the coaching and mentoring sessions, there's usually lots of food for thought to be Mm. digested and to be actioned, etc., But it's really important that the value of the person's time, that is the other person involved in the relationship, those actions are put into play. Otherwise, you're just not getting anything out of it. You don't have that organization or thought put in previous. And that's, I suppose, kind of reframing the fact that mentoring and coaching is not just having a chat. Mm. You know, it's not just having a chat over a cup of coffee. It's more than that. And You know, we've set goals of what you want to achieve and, you know, we've set clarity around Mm. what you expect and what I expect from it. And for me, the best mentors and coaches are people who challenge and hold you accountable. And, you know, they because in turn, they're helping you grow. Whereas if you're just having conversations, it can be really interesting and really insightful. But the same level of growth isn't achieved. Isn't there. A hundred percent agree. Do you have any advice for, there's a lot of job seekers out in the world right now. Like, you know, it's been a tough year of redundancies and different things happening. So it's a competitive market. How do job seekers stand out? Or do you have any advice to job seekers at all in terms of how to go about it in today's market? Firstly, for me, if you find a job you really want then everything should be tailored and bespoke to suit that job. Um, like so many people still have the same CV and that same CV is sent to every position. Mm, yeah. And it's so not singing to the job and the skills that you could actually bring to it. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the good thing about most job adverts now is they're competency based. And from reading the job advert, you can very clearly see, actually, this is what they're looking for here. Mm-hmm. So as a as a result of that, 
you've got the opportunity to, you know, tailor your CV and your skills to really match what they're looking for. And I think a lot of people now, they're not just applying for everything mm. as maybe would have happened before. People are very focused on the, I really want this job. And if they do, it's how are you going to position yourself? And for me, the other key piece of advice is if you get through to interview, prepare yourself for the interview. Again, I could guess most interview questions you're going to be asked for most jobs at this stage, because again, they follow the competency based mm. type of format. A lot of companies use occupational personality assessments and skills based assessments as well. And like for me, the key advice is fail to prepare, prepare to fail. And it really does make a huge difference. And it's such a like simple piece of advice that you think people are like, yeah, that's obvious. But you would be so surprised how many people don't prepare for questions that you can pretty much expect. 100%. Absolutely. Especially if you really read the job spec, because you can see that they're saying, how do you deal with multiple tasks with, you know, multiple deadlines? Mm. And, you know, that's one of the job factors that they're looking for. And then they ask you in the interview, you need to have an example to show this is what I did in the past. Mm -hmm. So past performance is a great indicator of future performance for the interviewer. And what do you what are you seeing in terms of trends? Um around what women are looking for from employers like what are what are making employers attractive to women do you think in 2023 i think um for men and women work-life balance and flexibility mm -hmm. is so important i mean people have relocated to many locations around ireland um you know during the last couple of years and the concept of being able to do hybrid work from different locations and have a good work life balance is so high in people's priority list. Mm. And they're willing to take a reduction in salary and benefits for a better work life balance. Do you balance. see that? Yeah, absolutely. And as a result, I suppose organizations are embracing hybrid. We're seeing more companies, particularly a lot of the US tech companies like Zoom, Amazon, Dropbox mm. that are saying you need to come into the office X many days a week because they want more collaboration, etc. And if Zoom are doing that, like that's pretty PR, not, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's saying a lot. But ultimately, for a lot of people, that's a factor that's helping them decide, will I stay in the company or will I go elsewhere? So I think family friendly policies, but family friendly remote working policies that are not just for families, they're for mm -hmm. anybody who might want to work somewhere different and have that hybrid or have a fully remote job. No question about it. People love the connectedness of people. Mm. So many people are very happy with the concept of being in the office two days and working from home three. Mm. But for jobs that can facilitate hybrid, if they're not offering it, they're people are struggle. looking elsewhere. Absolutely. And what do you think of the word like, work-life balance do you do you think it truly exists like I don't know especially in the hybrid work or working from home and people it's hard to switch off right and there do you have any advice around how to reduce stress for your career and just life in general um, and how to kind of enjoy the journey more I suppose for me, um, work-life balance, one of the most important things when I set up the HR suite yeah. was both for me and my team that they would work normal hours, i.e., you know, between the normal office hours yeah. and that it wouldn't be like you'd be logging back in in the evenings and weekends and stuff like that. And even though our business is very busy, you know, during those hours, people get that opportunity to switch off because it's a demanding environment that you need to be sharp all the time queries mm. are coming in you know people have diverse needs etc that for me I think it's way better for my personal productivity mm. and for that of my team that people are off when they're off and then they get the chance to recharge and that applies to holidays as well as the working week like so many people say to me well when I'm on holidays I still have to check my emails and I just think that that is so defeating the purpose of being off mm. because you know that if you get that clangor of an email in, that could be something that you go, well, I have to deal with this now today or 
actually there, that's such a good opportunity. I want to try and do something to address it, mm-hmm. that it can mean that that time to recharge, you actually don't really get that full opportunity. Mm. And we all know we're better for, you know, that relaxation time to fully recharge and then we come back all the better. You know, so I think we have to set our own boundaries around it because a lot of the time we blame the organization, mm. but actually it's not the organization. We might be kind of not productive for a good chunk of the morning because we like to, you know, have coffee or to, yeah. you know, lots of chopping and changing. And then we have to work on late in the evening. So I think we have to look at our own productivity style and see and how you manage your day. Absolutely. And manage your own productivity mm. and learn a bit more about what works best for us. Because, you know, a lot of people, for example, they love being distracted. They love the email pop up where, you know, they're doing a tedious task and the email pops up and says anything. And they love being able to just jump into it to distract. But in turn, the productivity to get the task done is double, you know, you have to spend double the time to actually get the job done. Yeah. And I read just on your previous comment around holidays and taking time to switch off. I read a book recently um, and it was all about like, if you wait for the holiday to switch off, like what, maybe you have two, three holidays a year, like you will be burnt out and chances are you'll probably be sick on your holiday. So it's like taking this concept of a holiday and like, okay, how do I take like a half an hour holiday every day? Like what can I do on a daily basis to make sure that I'm switching off my brain, doing something that I enjoy? Like we were talking about tennis and different hobbies and trying new things implementing that kind of mindset and making it more consistent versus work 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 play two weeks work 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 but you know because I just see a lot of people it's a vicious cycle yeah and I think for a lot of people there's you know the when people started working from home more people had no separation of work and home so I think one really important thing is that you have either a separate room or a separate area where You know, there's loads of hubs as well available to people Mm. now. In other words, that what it means is psychologically for you, once you're in that place, you're working. When you're not in that place, you're not working so that you're not looking at the laptop all night long. I think that's one starting point. But I think then as well, you must have some parameters around your working day and your times and your breaks. You know, like the eating, the lunch on the go. I do loads, but... I'm also conscious that I need to get a a fresh air break, for example, if I'm doing something tedious and it might only be 10 minutes and I could be doing it still chatting on the phone. But Mm. the fresh air and the light and the being outside makes a huge difference. difference. So, you know, I think it's, you know, understanding our circadian rhythm a little bit Mm. and what, you know, kind of energizes us. But I do think we need to set the boundaries around our work times, our work our actual physical work location and also just be a little bit more disciplined. People's lives outside of work are so busy as well that it's like you're going from one mad busyness of your work to another mad busyness of your life that, you know, you need to feel that there is, even if it's only 10 minutes to have a cuppa, you know, that you feel, okay, I actually really needed that or I needed the walk or I needed Mm. the bit of fresh air. But for a lot of people, time is our biggest enemy. No question about it. I mean, I know myself that it's like if I want to go to the gym, I go in the morning because I can plan my morning, whereas the rest of the day I could have good intentions. But actually going to a class in the evening, something else might get in the way of that. And what else do you do that like fills up your cup or gives you joy to kind of, you know, fill up that side of yourself? I suppose for me, I'm, I mentioned I'm from Ballyhigh. I love the beach. I love the outdoors. You know, I try and do as much of that as I can. I try and do a walk or, you know, those kind of things. Mm. I suppose I also really enjoy time with family and friends and that downtime. And I love my holidays, play golf, trying to play tennis. And <laughs> it's not really going well, but I'm still going to stick at it. It's very much a work in progress. And I suppose for me, it's kind of feeling that even at the weekend that I, you know, I always feel that I do something that's enjoyable Mm -hmm. rather than just doing the, you know, the householdy stuff and all those kind of things that I always kind of feel, 
you know, whether it's reading the book, watching MasterChef Australia, which is amazing, <laughs> or, you know, meeting friends or, you know, doing something that just is for me. Yeah. That I feel, yeah, that was that was fun. That was enjoyable. It was great to get to do that because for most things, you know, we only regret what we say no to. You very rarely regret what you say yes to. Yeah, it's like, you know, that study that was done with people on their deathbed. It's like what you regret most in life. It's not the things that they did. It's the things that they didn't do. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and finally, do you have going, say if you were to go back and give Caroline advice to your younger self in the earlier days, around everything, whether it's career, life, journey, what piece of advice would you give yourself? And why? I suppose my grandfather was a really inspirational man, a real gentleman and, you know, a big influence in our lives. But Granda had this brilliant saying that you need three bones to enjoy the journey of life. So you need to have a wishbone to dream the dream. Mm -hmm. You need to have a backbone to work hard to make it happen. And you need to have a funny bone to enjoy the lighter side of life. And you need all three in equal measure so that you do get to enjoy the journey of life. And, you know, the way when you're young and you're hearing that you I didn't really value and appreciate mm -hmm. how important that was and how impactful that saying would be on my life. But for me, when I'm doing too much of any one of those, I know that I need to kind of refocus and whether it's working too hard and I realize I need to have more fun or, you know, sometimes you're in a rush and you actually need to kind of think about Actually, you know, I need to rethink my vision here because actually I need to dream the dream a bit more that I think that's a really good saying that helps you refocus and kind of keep the northern star in in focus of what's it all for. And am I actually enjoying the journey? Because it goes really, really fast. Mm. And that's a really good way to kind of take a step back and just look at things on a more holistic level. Absolutely. Yeah. So. I think for me, it's that reminder every so often that, you know, we all need to press pause and just reassess. Have we got those three bones in equal measure? And if one is really overflowing and the other two are not, I think it just is a good reminder to think, you know, actually is now a good time to reassess and refocus and maybe reprioritize our very precious time. Well, I'm definitely going to steal that, first of all. And I think that is the perfect note to end on. And so, Caroline, I just want to thank you, first of all, so much for coming on the podcast, sharing your story with us. I feel like there were so many good practical tips, but also like life experiences tips as well. So um, thank you so much and best of luck with everything. Thanks, Susan. It's been an absolute pleasure. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you.